0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia,
1: viewed to be the best.
0: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Hello, everybody. Welcome into uh, today's edition of our program. We are live here just down the road from Port Canaveral. I'm in my hotel room. We were talking about this with our video audience a little earlier of if you're watching on video, no cool backdrop. I can see the ocean from where I'm sitting right here. But in terms of kind of creating something that looked good on camera, it was actually just easier to do it from the hotel room today. So a few minutes of Georgia football talk with you here today. Then we're hopping on board Independence of the Seas with Royal Caribbean. And for all of you who are on your way down, safe travels to the port. Can't wait to see you on the ship a little bit later on. And I can't wait to have a bunch of fun with you all throughout the week here with Independence of the Seas and Royal Caribbean, going to be a great time. But obviously we have a job to do there as well, which is talking about some Georgia football. So that's what I want to do here right now on our program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. So there's a Twitter account that's kind of gotten, got a little bit popular here as of late. It's called Message Board Geniuses. And the handle, as it would suggest, kind of sarcastically goes around the different college football message boards and finds, like whatever crazy things being said on the Internet, or at least from somebody's perspective, crazy things being said on the Internet and kind of blasts it out there and uh, shows it to the rest of the college football world. Everybody kind of has a little bit of a good laugh at just how, you know, sometimes intense or sometimes misguided certain fans might be as they post on message board. And listen, I've been you know kind of a professional message board reader for a long time. I read all the message boards across all of college football just because I am just always very curious what college football fans are talking about. And so this account, Message Board Geniuses, over the weekend kind of poked some fun at what somebody had put on a Georgia message board. I'll show this on the screen. Uh, You can see this. But basically, the gist of the post for Message Board Geniuses was laughing at a Georgia fan who went on a message board and was basically trying to make the case that Georgia is uh undervalued or or underrated or being overlooked right now in comparison to the national conversation and obviously if you're a non-georgia fan or you're kind of outside the bubble of dog nation looking at this from afar that seems silly georgia's the reigning national champion it'd be impossible in the minds of like a neutral observer maybe for georgia to sneak up on anybody that just doesn't really seem possible at least in the minds of some and so it becomes kind of fodder for an account like message board geniuses but you all have heard me say this before that I actually do think that Georgia is a little overlooked right now. And I think that Georgia is a little underrated right now. I do think there's a sense in which Georgia, as one of the very best teams in the country, if that turns out to be true again in 2022, I believe that it will, really will, even though it was framed sarcastically by the the Twitter account. If Georgia really is that team again, I think there is a degree that Georgia will be sneaking up on a lot of folks who like talking about college football whether they do it professionally for a living or they just do it you know for fun on these message boards i think there is an element in which georgia could be sneaking up on teams or on the 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 public for the upcoming year now is that because people still don't believe in Setson bennett or people just think that georgia's got too much to replace on defense or maybe georgia is still kind of new to this they're kind of like new money if you will you know newly entrenched into the club of national champions and teams like You know, maybe Alabama seems like they've just been here longer. And so there's some lingering doubt about Georgia, almost like moving the goalpost of before it was Georgia has won a national championship in 40 plus years. They can never do it. And now it's, well, Georgia may have won one, but they can't come back and win another. I, I don't know if that's what it is or whatever else, but I do think there is this sense right now that Georgia is somehow destined to go back to being what they used to be prior to winning a national championship, which is, you know, kind of, one of the best teams in the country, but not the clearly best, you know, that belonging to somebody else or second best team in the SEC. And we kind of know what Georgia had been prior you know, to this, even under Kirby Smart, sort of like fifth best team in the country, second best team in the SEC, going to the Sugar Bowl and trying to make the most of that situation. That's the slot that Georgia, unfortunately, found itself in a few times in kind of the Kirby Smart era, that general idea. And I think there is some uh, sense that that's what Georgia is about to go back to being again. But I get the impression that might not quite be so true. And I get the impression that a few folks may be surprised to find out that Georgia getting in 2022 is every bit the national championship contender for the upcoming season that it was in the, the previous season. And that Georgia's chances of winning the title again this year are really just about as good as they were last year when it won the national championship for the first time. And listen, you can disbelieve me on that if you want to. I'm obviously a Georgia fan. Got the Georgia shirt on today. Typically do wear Georgia gear like this. You can say I'm a little bit biased or maybe I'm a little bit given to hyperbole. Uh, I'll I'll allow you to say that if you want to. But let me let you hear somebody else's words here for a moment as a way of making the case on all of this. Because I thought there were a couple of things from Kirby Smart's post-game press conference after G-Day last Saturday they were really pretty interesting, and um, I think that a couple of those things were almost like an uncommon level of confidence from him. Not to say that Kirby's not confident confident in his team, but oftentimes Kirby just doesn't choose to project that. He just kind of you know sidestep any chance to to brag or anything that might sound you know boastful. He kind of sidesteps that a little bit. But there were a couple moments this past Saturday where I thought Smart gave a, a pretty forceful statement. It's the kind of thing that I think ought to get our attention because. One of the reasons why I think there are some who think that Georgia is going to like fall back to the pack a bit and not be a national championship contender is is because, well, last year, Georgia had this great defense, maybe greatest defense of all time, one of the best in recent memory, at least. And that was a very clear identity that Georgia had. And in 2022, Georgia is going to be kind of fumbling around and and trying to figure out what its identity is. You know, can it be more about the offense this year? You know, can it find a way to replace some of those big names off the defense that are no longer here? But one way or another, it's about establishing a new identity after last year's identity was so clearly defined. One of the best defenses of all time, you know, very, very, uh, you know, effective, you know, stingy when it comes to yards and points, but also uh, going out there, sacking quarterbacks, things like that. That was a clear identity for Georgia a year ago. And I think there are some who say, well, maybe Georgia may have a hard time, like, like finding an identity like that for the upcoming season. But if you listen to Kirby after the post-game press conference from G-Day last Saturday, it sounds like Georgia may start to zero in a little bit of exactly what it wants to be for the upcoming season. This was very interesting from Kirby and in light of the discussion we're having right now. I want you to hear it. This is Kirby from last Saturday. We're creeping on it. There was, there was some really good accountability in terms of holding each other accountable this spring that I was shocked by. That I was like, man, we're going to be voiding leadership. How can we create leadership opportunities? And from the day one, they were pushing each other. They were cheering each other on the sideline. I'm like, man, it's almost like they wanted to emulate those other guys. And I'm talking about from a leadership standpoint now. They can't emulate what some of those guys do on the field. They can emulate the standard, though. And I thought they really did that. For 14 of the 15 practices, man, I was like, dude, they had a great attitude. They worked really hard today. We made it tough, and they they did it. So we're going to have to have a a little different personality. We're going to have to have some grit, some toughness, because it won't just be talent. Like, we we were really talented uh, last year. And not that we're not talented now, but we're going to have to, you know, win in different ways. I mean, listen, if you hear Kirby Smart right then, you're not a Georgia fan. I think that probably ought to concern you a little bit because that's a guy right there. I think who sounds like he exited spring practice kind of liking his team a little bit. And we know how important leadership is to Kirby and we know how crucial the leaders specifically were to the 2021 success, but it sounds like Kirby saw some guys step up during spring practice this year. It sounds like Kirby saw an identity starting to form. It sounds like, at least on the basis of Kirby Smart's words right there, that there is a version of this 2022 team that's starting to come together that I think stands as a threat to the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the other would-be national contenders, maybe to an even greater degree than is being fully considered by the typical population of college football message board posters or national media types, whether they be, you know, writers or podcast hosts, whatever else, there is a degree to which Georgia right now, I believe, is putting together a team that will truly sneak up on much of the rest of the country this upcoming season. And let me kind of stay on the theme of uh, of identity here for a moment, because this is also something we've talked about before, that what is the recipe for this for Georgia? You heard Kirby there at the end of that clip a moment ago said, OK, we are going to have to do it in some different kind of ways here for the upcoming season. I think most people hear that may assume, well, that means, oh, scoring more because you're going to be allowing more And to a degree that might be true. But but I think specifically offensively. I think one of the things that you could see return for Georgia this year is improved offensive line play leading to improved running back play. And Georgia, which has kind of been sort of more middle of the pack in some of the rushing statistics in the, in the SEC for the last couple of years, maybe making a return to what it was in 2017 and 2018, 2017 obviously being the big breakout season for Kirby at Georgia when Georgia won the SEC, made the college football playoff and played for the national championship. Go back to that early stage, early era of Kirby smart as Georgia's head coach. These were Georgia teams leading the SEC in rushing yards, 2017, 2018. That's what Georgia did and really used that to, to create a very dynamic offense. And if you look at the next phase for Todd and I, I kind of think that's what it's about. And, you know, the and story by now is truly well-established. You've got, um, you know, you've got uh, uh, big improvement in Munkin's year one Compare the 2020 statistics to the 2019 statistics. Big improvement for Munkin in year one. Then you go and look at, what munkin does from say 2021 compared to 2020 another big step forward with big offensive improvement for georgia and now with him coming back for year three which is obviously a big big coup for this program to have munkin coming you know back for year three you're looking for more big improvement. Well, How do you get that next phase of the Munkin improvement? How do you take an offensive scoring about, you know, 40 points per game in 2021? How do you get that to go to that next level even higher? where It really does rival any offense in, in in the country and I think some of that is finding a way to cultivate the the running game that Georgia once had along with the monk and passing attack which is clearly so pro, uh, uh, prolific you put those two things together and at that point in time you've got the recipe for something that's potentially very nice and that's not all this is something else from Kirby smart that that when he talked about those running backs and what he'd seen from that group uh, you know back in the spring the other thing you know, they kind of mentioned is, Hey, he wants to continue to see them work on something that clearly NFL teams are looking for right now. And so when you're kind of thinking about that identity for Georgia, what it wants to be, how it wants to define itself, what that means for its push to repeat as national champions, a specific way in which Georgia wants to use its running backs as it tries to cultivate that identity. This is something else from Kirby in that post game press conference last Saturday where I thought, he came across sounding pretty confident about what I think he thinks his team has a chance to do for the upcoming season. Let me let you hear Kirby on that. Then we'll bring Connor Rowling to the discussion here today. This is Kirby. In college football, you become a weapon by how you receive the ball out of the backfield. They want to grow at that. They want to be able to um, showcase their talents catching the ball out of the backfield. So the NFL asks about, them. can he catch the ball out of the backfield? Can he be a third down back? Well, we like to grow NFL backs here. So to do that, you got to use them in the passing game. So listen, when you hear Kirby Smart say something that unmistakably clear, you ought to notice it. We like to grow NFL backs here. That's Smart, I think, giving you a little bit of a hint as to what he thinks the Georgia identity offensively is going to be and how good he thinks that might be, coupled with the leadership stuff he also discussed. So the bottom line of this discussion for me is, as hard as it may seem for some to understand, given the fact that Georgia is the reigning national champion, there are some around this country who care a lot about college football and who try to follow it closely, they may not quite be aware of just how good Georgia is right now. But Georgia could have a lot of surprises in store for them. As the uh, season approaches, I'm Brandon Adams. We are live here just from the shadow of the port in Port Canaveral in Cocoa Beach, Florida, right now, getting ready for the Dog Nation cruise. But we're also doing Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Pella Window Indoor of Georgia. Happy to have you with us across all platforms here today podcast and video and everything else. And by the way, a huge thanks to our friends at Pella Window Indoor of Georgia for making it possible. You know, they equipped your house with energy efficient windows and doors. Right now, I'm sitting in my hotel room looking at a big window here i can see the ocean i can see the waves crashing and it's a reminder to me of just how nice it is in your own home when you look out those great pella windows and you know how you know well constructed they are and what they do to add value to your home, really making the home feel better on the inside, keeping the energy where it's supposed to be, but also uh, improving your curb appeal on the outside, the kind of thing that could add to your resale value when you go to resell your home. That's what Pella window indoor George is all about. It's a recognized brand that Atlanta area homeowners have been trusting for a long time because they want the best for their home. And that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be. You can check this out for yourself when you go online, Pella of GA.com slash dog nation, Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. You can also give them a call if you want to, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Or you can also stop by and see them in their great experience center right there in Duluth. There's no appointment necessary. You can just stop, up and stop by and go see the cool products that Pella Window and Door of Georgia has for you whether it be uh, Monday through Friday from nine to five or on from 10 to four on Saturday, great chance to put your hands on the product, to feel the windows, to feel the doors, to experience what makes them better. And I think you'll be glad you did By the way, great savings there as well. Between now and June 2nd, you can get 50% off qualifying installations or 0% APR for 24 months. So big savings as always from our friends at Pella window Door of Georgia. So make sure you check that out. Glad to have you checking us out here today. And as I said before, before I get on the cruise ship, I get the chance right now to talk to Connor Riley here for a few minutes. So Let me bring in Connor in this discussion. Of course, Connor always doing a great job covering things for Dog Nation, especially this week, as he's the only one left back at the home front as the rest of us get on board the ship. Connor, let me just begin before we do a Georgia football conversation here and tell you how much we're going to miss you on board as I'm lathered in sunscreen, kick back and relaxing and enjoying the cruise. I certainly wish you were there with me to do that.
1: Yeah, someone's got to be the designated survivor in the uh, untimely event that the cruise goes down. So I will will hold things down back here. And what should still be a really busy week between the NFL draft, uptick and transfer portal stuff, there's still a ton of news going on. And you know, not all of us can enjoy a nice uh, cruise in the sun. So some of us still have to work around here.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, let's, uh, I guess, pick up the conversation where I was. And as you said before, there was a lot I want to talk about. But let me pick up the conversation where I was a moment ago. Let me start with the basic premise that I started the show with today. And you've heard me probably say this before. I actually truly do believe that Georgia is undervalued coming into the upcoming season. Now on the one hand you would say well, what else would you know a, a Georgia guy say and, and that's fine. But I view Georgia right now as just as much of a national championship contender for the upcoming season as it was maybe this time a year ago. And I think there's like this common assumption that Georgia will kind of slide back to being what a lot of people thought Georgia was prior to breaking through last season which was Sort of second best in the SEC, fifth best in the country, maybe even fourth best in the country, but but a clear you know notch below the the, the top couple teams maybe. And I just don't quite think that George is going to cooperate with that narrative as much as some people think. I think a twelve and zero regular season is a pretty easy thing to imagine, given how George compares to its schedule and Georgia very tough out in a college football playoff situation. I think that's probably true once again there as well. So before we kind of get more into this. Do you agree with that basic premise that Georgia right now on paper is better than a lot of folks probably realize?
1: Yes, and I think it's because of the fact that they play in the SEC and they play in the same conference as Alabama. I think if if, you know, if they were the biggest dog in their yard, if if they're, you know, the Ohio State in the Big 10, if they're the Clemson in the ACC prior to this this current season. If they are, you know, Oklahoma in the Big 12 a few years ago when Lincoln Riley was there, if that's what Georgia is, they're getting talked about like in Alabama, like in Ohio State. But because Alabama exists and is seemingly a roadblock, not just for Georgia, but obviously all of college football, because Georgia is going to have to play that probably twice this coming season to win a national title. I do think that that is something that sort of it leans into and, and focuses on a little bit. And so the national media sometimes. Might eschew that because of the fact that they see Alabama and Georgia in the same spot, and other than other than really last year, and then obviously in twenty seventeen, it, it's just hard to bank on the fact that you're going to get two SEC teams into the college football playoff.
0: And the other thing that I'm as I'm starting to kind of like really think about the upcoming season, the other thing I also kind of keep coming back to here a little bit is, is that it's very easy to put Ohio State in the playoff right now, just given what it appears they have compared to the rest of the Big Ten. I think it's very easy to think About an Alabama repeat to the playoff because obviously Bryce Young and, and Andrew Will Anderson are going to get so much attention. They are, you know, really good players, you know, a great player on both sides of the ball. An easy part of that conversation. I want to get more in Alabama with you in a minute, but but easy to kind of rubber stamp Bama back in the playoff. I think it becomes easier to do the same thing with the Georgia again there as well. Because go look at the Big 12 here for a moment, go look at the Pac 12 here for a moment, go look at the ACC for a moment, Connor. <laughs> Who's the fourth team in the playoff? Right. I mean, part of the reason why I think it becomes easier to imagine Georgia having a clear path back towards a national championship again, certainly a a repeat return to the playoff with a chance to win it all is, is I just don't see that fourth playoff team right now. I just gave you the the, the three that you and I are probably going to share and almost everybody that does this for a living is going to share somehow Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State making the playoff. I don't see who that fourth team is right now. And when you start thinking about Georgia's chances of repeating, the fact there isn't an obvious national-level contender that's viewed to be on the par of those three, nor is it likely that one emerges over the course of, of the season, I think that's another argument in favor of Georgia being back in the national championship picture because it's sort of hard to make a case for someone else overtaking that spot.
1: Yeah, And Mark Schlebaugh's recent top 25, uh, way too early top 25 post-spring edition, do you want to guess who the number four team he had was? Uh,
0: yeah, I actually know this. It was Utah. And I just listen. I like Kyle him. I think he's a good coach. I, I, I don't mind watching them play. That's not a fourth best team in the country type, type, type team.
1: No, they are not. I think you, uh, he had NC State seventh or eighth there as yeah. well. I think it sort of speaks to what might be a pretty strange season in college football next mm-hmm. year, where I think you've got three teams, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State, who because of the talent they've accumulated and their ability to develop said talent, have such a wide margin of error over the rest of college football. You know, even Clemson has recruited well in recent seasons, but they haven't done a great job of developing that talent. They have some major question marks again on the mm-hmm. offensive side of the ball, along with all the turnover that they've had there on that coaching staff. You know, Notre Dame, we'll, we'll see what we get out of them. But new new first-year head coach Marcus Freeman. You know, Texas A&M is interesting. If their quarterback play comes together, you think there's enough talent there around them. But, again, they're maybe the third-best team in the SEC. Could that really be this fourth-best team in the country if there are three In the sec there we'll see if they get the benefit of doubt when it comes to that so you know georgia winning a national title a season ago bring back so much talent that it had from the year before i do think gives them a sort of leg up on whoever that third and fourth team might be assuming you give that to alabama and ohio state given that they bring back bryce young and cj stroud
0: the other thing i talked about a minute ago was to me kirby seemed sort of uncharacteristically confident and his G-Day press conference when asked to like define the identity the way that he sees that this upcoming team, or this upcoming season, I should say. Mm-hmm. He kind of sounds like a coach who likes his team a little bit. And if you're not a Georgia fan, I do think that's bad news for you. That Because mm-hmm. Kirby's not going to be throwing around that kind of, you know, those kind of platitudes, uh, uh, you know, easily. It's not the kind of thing he commonly does. So I lean in on that level of confidence for him. I think he feels like this team is starting to to structure its identity there there a bit. And I think that's worth noticing.
1: Yeah, I think one of the bigger things that I take away from spring practice was over the second half of practices, there was a change in tone from Kirby Smart. He was, he was talking a lot about the concerns that he had for leadership on this team and where it was going to come from. And I think he really liked the answers that he got over the course of spring practice. Had a story go up yesterday on Cedric Von Braun, who admits he's not much of a a natural talker, but one of the things he's learning to do is is become a more vocal leader. You have guys like Nolan Smith who have been through the wars before and has no problem being vocal at all. Uh, I, I think Kirby Smart saw this spring that, well, yes, it's not going to look the 2021 team in terms of leadership you know everyone out everyone out there has to find their own sort of unique brand of leadership and what works for them and what that looks like and i think kirby smart saw that from a couple of guys this spring jamon dumas johnson keeley ringo marcus Roseme jack saint and when you see that you you start to understand okay kirby's done this now enough to know this team isn't going to have the same sort of voice style etc from Last season, he admits it's going to be like a grittier, sort of maybe even a tougher team than what we saw a season ago. But I think he knows what that answer is now. And I think that excites him going into this offseason to see how they further build on that.
0: So you and I talked a little bit off the air this weekend. And I want to bring this conversation on there a little bit. Alabama has taken a transfer wide receiver. We'll show you Tyler Harrell on the screen here from Louisville. I'll admit this is not a player that I heard, knew much about before he came to Alabama. But in researching a little bit, If the 40-yard times I've seen on him are correct, he's got blazing sort of world-class type speed. And he put up decent numbers, you know, for uh, Louisville a year ago. So this is a pretty prominent addition for Alabama, especially this late in the discussion. However, Connor, I think you and I are kind of the same mind on this a little bit that this, to me, says something a little bit weird about Georgia's chief competition, Alabama, that they are once again going this heavily into the transfer portal I don't think this is necessarily a complimentary reflection of uh, of Alabama. Uh, tell me more your thoughts on Bama going out and getting a guy like Harold here, who's pretty clearly a good player and seemingly would make Alabama more dangerous. But boy, there's there's some interesting stuff to consider with Alabama taking another portal player, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So Alabama's recruited statistically better than Georgia and better than anyone in the country in the last. A couple seasons and I'm just curious as to why it seems that they're going out and adding all these transfers specifically these guys who are presumably going to be one and done type players and it's not just limited to this Louisville wide receiver that they just took they took an offensive tackle from Vanderbilt which is very right. puzzling to me when you add in you know the offensive line class that they signed two seasons ago they brought Jermaine Burton in earlier this offseason to help boost that wide receiver room I have a lot of questions about that wide receiver room given mm-hmm. how well they've recruited at that position and quite frankly developed Now you're going out and you're looking for one-year guys to sort of help you prop up what this team could be. Jameer Gibbs, obviously, the running back uh, that they brought in from Georgia Tech there as well. You know, obviously, every team brings in transfers, but the fact that Alabama is going this route makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit about, you know, what is the functional depth on this team? You know, how, how are they going about developing these young guys? is it you know what does this team really look like and you know the bigger question is well what does this say about this 2022 season for Nick Saban because there's been some online chatter out there about how some people start more and more now to think this will be Saban's last season you think Bryce Young is going to obviously be a top pick in next year's NFL draft maybe right off on the sunset that with the national championship I don't want to say cracks are forming because that we've we've gone down that road with Alabama before but it's really interesting to me that Alabama right now seems to be leaning so heavily on this transfer portal. When you've heard Kirby Smart talk about this before, he still wants to develop guys through the high school ranks and lean on that. Alabama's reliance on the transfer portal this offseason maybe seems to be a little bit of a departure to that and I don't know if this may be a one-year thing where again maybe that does lend credence to what Saban is ultimately doing here or if this is just sort of yeah we had some misses specifically the 2019 recruiting class that those guys are supposed to be your seniors now they didn't exactly paint out the way they thought they would and they're trying to export that into or import that rather excuse me into their program
0: well the other thing comes to mind for me is is that there's some people who would say, hey, we need to have no rules for transfers, very open door for whatever, because that's what's good for players. But look at Jermaine Burton for a moment here. I mean, he went to Alabama and we know this because Saban was very public in talking about this, that the pitch to Burton was, hey, come here and get a lot of stats. Come here, have a lot of balls thrown your way. And when Burton looks at the situation, in Alabama, he's like, hey, this is kind of an open scenario. Wide receiver is fairly obvious that the Jai Halls on his way out the door. It became easy to envision himself kind of being the guy. And then lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, it seems like maybe Alabama made a similar promise to a guy like this from Louisville. It's like if you're Jermaine Burton right now, are you happy? I mean, I'm not saying he's thinking of leaving Alabama. That's not what I'm saying, but 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 given the fact that a big part of the pitch to you to come to Tuscaloosa was, hey, come here, and get a lot of balls thrown your way, come here and get a lot of stats. You're gonna be our guy until we go out and get another transfer wide receiver after that. It's the kind of thing that I hope that people are noticing here is that when it's wild West for transfers, you know, after a while, some of the guys who transfer and then see other guys transfer behind them, the situation they're actually now tethered to is not quite what they thought they were entering into.
1: Right. Well, think of how DeCorey Brooks probably feels, you know, this guy, five-star wide receiver. I yeah. thought, you know, I, I learned my freshman year, I come in, he was one of the few wide receivers for Alabama last year that I thought did develop and get better over the course of the season and then this offseason at the beginning of it when it seems like he's poised to really become the guy in that wide receiver room for the crimson tide sees jermaine burton and now this louisville transfer come in that are going to take snaps targets and catches away from them and ultimately hurt his development that's why i think when you look at what georgia has done under kirby smart and the way they've used the transfer portal go back and look at last year yeah they go out and add tyke smith and darian kendrick from from the from the transfer portal bring them in, in in the secondary But look at all the guys that they had to transfer out prior to that. If Tyreek Stevenson doesn't transfer out, if Major Burns doesn't transfer out, you know who knows if georgia is even that active in going out and getting guys from the transfer portal and having said all that i do expect georgia to be active in the transfer portal in the coming weeks both in terms of guys leaving their program because they do still have i think a little bit more work to do in terms of getting that scholarship countdown and then you look at potential additions i think if there's a wide receiver out there that can come in and play they'd certainly look at that and then safety and cornerback potentially as well are spots there i would i would definitely lean safety and wide receiver are probably the top two concerns and maybe cornerback is sort of a tertiary concern there from the transfer portal.
0: A very fancy word, Connor. Thank you for bringing such uh, intelligence to our show today. Let me do a couple other things with you here real quick, kind of off the radar, but it seems like a good time to do this. You see Jack Swarbrick, the uh, Notre Dame athletic director in the Sporting News, not Sporting News, sorry, Sports Illustrated, um, about the imminent breakup, I guess, of big-time college athletics. I, I thought if this is a bigger topic than we have time to get into right now, but I- just a general thought here. I mean, I thought really uh, Swarbrick struck a pretty, I don't know, dire tone about you know what the future of college sports is going to be, or or maybe maybe yeah, yeah, you, you see Pat Forty's uh, tweet on that, by the way, from uh, Sports Illustrated. But I mean, is this a big deal? Do you worry about this? I mean, there's a part of me that's sort of glad Georgia won a national championship overall, 130 teams, because it sort of seems like the future of college football is not going to quite be that. Maybe that's not quite such a big deal because obviously there are many teams that don't play anywhere close to the same level that Georgia does. So maybe ending the charade of us all being under the same umbrella makes some sense here. But I mean, it seems like there's even more big change on the horizon for college sports than the current situation we're kind of living through right now. As someone who obviously you know makes a living in this industry and cares about this sport, how much does this concern you when a prominent figure like Swarbrick is speaking up as openly and as clearly as he is?
1: Yeah, I, I want to. I appreciate the candor and honesty because you don't usually always get that from high-level uh, college football administrators. There, so Swarbuck from Notre Dame going out there and sort of saying on the record, yeah, we, we recognize that these changes don't really. And when I say changes, I mean transfer portal, NIL, you know, rising coaching salaries. Some of these changes, I think, have forced you know the college football powers that be, conference realignment with Texas at Oklahoma joining there as well. There's been so much change recently in this sport within the last, I would say, eighteen months. And you and I talk college football more than anyone, and the people who watch the show and watch these types of shows, you know, consuming year round. I don't know how many people right now are saying the product of college football is better than it was before all of these changes. Maybe yes, there's more year round interest because of the transfer portal, NIL. But it just it feels like these recent changes have sort of separated the haves and have nots to even further extremes. And so maybe that is sort of a good thing that we are going to see maybe a clear break to where, you know, maybe it's like Premier League style. You have the has of the upper tier, have-nots, and you have competitions to maybe encourage them getting together. But at the end of the day, the one everyone cares about is the premiership. Maybe you have 20 to 30 teams that are competing for that one big national title. Among the college football programs that are willing to spend the kind of money, and that is ultimately what this all comes back to, is money. The ones that are willing to spend that kind of money, Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, et cetera, the ones that are willing to do that very clearly have separated themselves from the rest of the college football world. And it does kind of stink because, you know, you've seen teams come up and, and rise despite having not, or not having sort of the big bucks to sort of spend sometimes with those programs, but ultimately forcing their way into that conversation. And so I, it's just sort of a necessary thing that I think is going to have to happen with the way that this game has changed in recent seasons.
0: So quick follow-up, cause I want to talk about something else before we uh, go. I think the point here is when a guy like Swarbrick is speaking up like this, this is different than the typical off season conversation where we kind of pontificate about possible changes Mm. just to kind of fill time. And and a lot of that kind of stuff never comes true. I think when a guy like this is speaking as openly as he is about what he views as an eventual split, it may not happen, but this is real. This is a real conversation. This is not theorizing. Like, Like there are a lot of people at the highest levels of power in college sports who are bracing for even more major change on the horizon here and it seems like almost anything's on the table
1: yeah and you know is it a 32 team super conference is it you know four 16 team super conferences an expanded playoff What does all that look like i think i think Swarbuck's words there are very much indicating that yeah we've seen a lot of tumultuous change in the past 18 months when it comes to the sport We're going to see even more coming out of this. You know, when when the new college football playoff contract gets renegotiated, what does that look like there? Conference realignment, what does that look like? I I think those are the issues going forward. And even again, as we get a better understanding of name, image, and likeness and transfer portal uh, in terms of how those are impacted going forward, there's still a lot we don't know and understand about those things only because, you know, name, image, and likeness isn't even a year old. And it feels like we've talked about it so much at this point. It's been like that forever, but it really hasn't. And then the transfer portal as well, as we sort of get into the ebbs and flows of it, you know, does it still have the same attrition rate where guys are going into the portal and not finding new homes? Or does that sort of level out? And you understand that I'm only going into the transfer portal if I know I'm getting another job somewhere else.
0: I think that's right. So just quickly here for a moment, because our our time is somewhat limited here, but um, I know there's some interesting stuff from spring games this weekend. I just wanted to spend a couple of seconds on this and I would normally do this as an SEC through, but I'll just do it with you here right now. Um, Ole Miss and LSU played this weekend, and I went into this weekend thinking the quarterback was going to be the hot topic for both of those games. I think it kind of turned out to be that way. Connor, I don't think there's any separation right now at LSU where, like, Jaden Daniels came in from Arizona State. At one point in time, this was like a big-time prospect, and it just doesn't seem like that's true anymore. Miles Brennan's still there. Uh, uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, I guess, may have actually been quietly maybe the, mo- the most impressive of the group. He's a former pretty big, you know, recruit. Um, But in a place like LSU right now, you know, the arrival of Daniels into this league to LSU, it does not seem like right now that's having a a very big impact, which I think is kind of interesting. But similarly, at at Ole Miss here, you know, Jackson Dart came in with even more fanfare. I think there's a real good chance he actually doesn't win that starting job. The kid from Starkville, whatever his name is, I think he may. Altmeyer, yeah, yeah, Altmeyer. I think he may actually end up winning the job there. The quarterback situation in the SEC West is is a little bit compelling, especially after we got a chance to see both those teams on Saturday, where it seems like right now at both spots quarterback is a, is a little bit unsettled. And you know, those are two teams. You know, Ole Miss over under numbers eight according to Win LSU is a little lower than that, but these are two teams that obviously factor into the discussion. And I think quarterback at both spots right now is a little bit unsettled. And I think the Altmaier emergence. At, and Oxford it's kind of a real thing here. I mean, there was a stretch on Saturday where Jackson Dart was really pretty ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a strong possibility of a, a different guy than we expect is actually starting for Ole Miss this season.
1: Yeah, I would say the Dart news is the more, I think, surprising sla- surprising or attention-grabbing from my perspective because I had sort of bought into the hype and thought this was a guy, you know, he's not going to be Matt Corral right away, but he can be a talented player that over the course of the season gets better for Ole Miss and helps, I think, take advantage of some of the weapons that they have there. And I'll point out there as well. I think whoever ultimately ends up winning that Ole Miss quarterback job, they're going to be pretty good and pretty effective because that's what Lane Kiffin is, as an offensive coordinator and an offensive mind rather. And so ultimately, I do think they'll get that figured out. But the fact that it's not Jackson Dart is a little bit surprising there. You know, I was following along with the LSU spring game this week and, you know, seeing names pop up of guys making plays when I'm like, oh, Mason Smith, that was a guy Georgia recruited yeah. and wanted. B.J. Ojolari, that was a guy Georgia wanted. Uh, yeah. or wanted John men, Emery Jr. Right word. Yeah, uh, John Emery Jr. making plays. Uh, they have Kayshawn Boutte coming back. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that LSU team, and, and I do think if they can get that quarterback situation figured out, whoever ultimately it ends up being, whether it is Daniels, Miles Brennan, Garrett Nussmeyer, I I think that LSU team, if they can stay healthy, because I'm guessing their depth isn't great along the offensive and defensive lines, uh, there's some talent there. And I think Brian Kelly could maybe impress in year one, you know, maybe get to 10 wins and and surprise the Texas A&M, maybe, you know, keep it close against Alabama. If they can figure out who who the best guy for that offense to get the most out of them there is, I, I could see some good things for LSU this season where maybe they surprise year one under Brian Kelly.
0: And then finally there's this, I thought this was the most interesting thing from the weekend Uh, You know, Lincoln Rally, USC, they're on national television. They're making a big push. You know, Caleb Williams obviously had a, a nice performance. And I'll show you this on the screen. But the fact that Oklahoma had its spring game same day and, you know, supposedly USC had, you know, record crowd for its spring game, its own, you know, breaking its own record. And the fact that Norman was essentially sold out full stadium for Brent Venable's debut Connor, that's a really interesting statement to me for, um, and you can see this on your screen right now, folks. That's a really interesting statement to me about what Riley's leaving, where he's going to. He may have a fancy house on the beach, and I'm enjoying looking at the ocean right now where I'm sitting. And he may be making a lot of money, but he left the football capital to go to something that's just not that right now. And the statement that Oklahoma made in comparison to Lincoln Riley on Saturday, I actually thought was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I definitely think there's some bad – I would love to see Oklahoma and USC play on the football field yeah, in the upcoming seasons. Uh, there's definitely some bad blood there. And, and Lincoln Riley just did not help himself with the Players Tribune article that he put out last week where he sort of, again, parroted the same, you know, oh, this all came together over 12 hours. Nobody actually believes that. Right. So, you know, I think Lincoln Riley's got an uphill battle in terms of, you know, turning around that USC program and getting it back to where it needs to be and ultimately can be. Whereas you look at Oklahoma, and I'm really interested by what Oklahoma becomes under Brent Venables, because they're going to be entering the SEC in a few seasons. And they go from the biggest dog in the big 12 yard to, well, now you're one of like the six really big dogs here. And so I do think that's an encouraging sign for the passion that Oklahoma brings. They sort of will, I think, fit well with that SEC mold and fit in among SEC fans. Mm-hmm. But they've also got to have some of the sizzle that goes along with that. Guys making plays, improving, and still getting better on the field because yeah. there's a very easy world where you know, let's say that Brent Venables hire doesn't work out, and it's not exactly all swim going swimmingly. If you enter the SEC and you don't get off on the right foot, and you're a place like Oklahoma that's going to make things really, really tough for you. So these actual first couple of years under Brent Venables, I don't necessarily care all that much about winning the big 12 or how they do there, how they go about preparing for life in the SEC, I think is the most interesting and important thing that Brent Venables is going to have to do as the head coach there. And while I know everyone will want to pay attention to Lincoln Riley because he very clearly sort of dogged or dodged the SEC. I, I, I do think that how Venables goes about embracing that SEC mindset is going to go a long way in determining how successful he is at Oklahoma.
0: I'm running crazy late. I'm going to get left uh, not make it on the shift here in a second. But give me 30 quick seconds just to, just what's on your mind for the draft heading towards Thursday. And then, you know, a couple of days after that, just kind of thumbnail sketch of where you think the the Georgia guys kind of are right now. Just kind of a quick synopsis on that before we say goodbye to you.
1: I think Trayvon Walker is going to be a top 10 pick uh, for his perspective. I, I, I don't want to see him go to Jacksonville number one overall. I don't necessarily think that's a great fit for him and sort of what he'd be able to do. Jordan Davis is going to go somewhere in the teens. Devontae Wyatt is going to go somewhere in the twenties. I don't think Nakobe Dean is going to be drafted in the first round, and I think it's a gigantic mistake. And whoever picks um. him on Friday is going to be incredibly happy.
0: How about Pickens, you think he can sneak into the first round? I've heard some chatter about that as of late.
1: I could see Pickens, Lewisine, Quay Walker all getting into the back half of the first round there. If you had, if I had to make a pick right now for one of them. I would probably say Lewisine, but if there's a run-on wide receivers and a lot of those guys go earlier than some people might think, I could see a team like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Green Bay Packers grabbing Pickens at the back half of the first round.
0: In all seriousness, Connor, I know you're going to have great stuff on the draft all week long. I'm looking forward to reading it and watching some of that video content myself and looking forward to getting a chance to chat with you when we're back on dry ground again uh, once the uh, Dog Nation career is over with. So thanks for your time.
1: Don't do too much reading this week, though. Make sure you get that sign. Make sure you enjoy the cruise and all that comes with
0: it. Definitely, Connor. We'll talk to you soon. Good stuff there from yeah. Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia Today. And also, don't forget this. Even though we're about to get on a cruise, you've still got some more to do there at home because you've got a few more days to get involved in our Kroger Championship Mom Celebration. Now, part of what we're going to be doing on board the uh, ship here today is celebrating a great year for dog nation covering georgia on its way towards the national championship having some fun doing that and obviously it's been a great year of championships all across our great state and so many of the moms in our lives are champions there as well whether it's your own mother or as i told you before maybe it's your wife you see how she uh takes care of your own kids or maybe you now have got a daughter who's now a mom There's just so many cool you know moms in our listening audience and we love celebrating those with our championship moms. And we wanna hear from you about the mom in your life and what makes her special. And we want to potentially make her a big winner there as well, because we've got a prize pack that includes a whole bunch of gift cards, our friends at Kroger, of course, Home Chef, Bath and Body Works, and our friends from Sequest Stonecrest are also going to give away four annual passes to our Championship Mom winners there too. So here's how you do, here's how you do it. Send your email to info at dognation.com. That's info at dognation.com. Tell us why your mom should be a championship mom or the mom that you want to nominate for all this. You've got between now and April 29th to do that. And I'll start announcing the winners here on the show after that. We're going to draw five winners at random. I'll tell their story. Uh, We'll celebrate what makes them so great. Championship moms from our friends at Kroger, your time to do that here right now. Okay, a couple of quick things from us before we get ready to leave here today and truly leave by getting on board the ship here in just a minute. I got to kind of go a little bit fast on this. I want to show you this. So I think one of the things that we need to be paying attention to right now for those of us who are georgia fans and by the way enjoy the diamond dogs getting a, a series win in tuscaloosa over the weekend but obviously tennessee and baseball is having a very good season and the tennessee vols are also cultivating quite a little bit of uh notoriety right now as a little bit of a villainous team if you like to have uh, a chance to root against uh, uh you know a team that right now a lot of folks in the sec don't seem to like very much tennessee baseball kind of a version of this i'll show you this uh so chief borders responded to this so tennessee sweeps florida in gainesville and and by the way uh um uh, so they get the win there but i guess they're dressing in uh, the swamp locker room or something like that and so like as a way of celebrating they all put on like florida football helmets, which we typically kind of like that's kind of funny whatever else but it kind of adds to what has been a little bit of a contentious season for Tennessee and a lot of teams in the SEC, the coach, Tony Vitello, you know, shoved an umpire and they've had illegal bats or whatever else. They've just had all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And so like Florida fans are fighting mad at Tennessee baseball right now, because after celebrating the, the series win against the, the Gators, they're like putting on the tennis, the, the Florida football helmets, some Florida players noticed this there as well. So we're kind of heading towards the crunch time in the SEC baseball season. And it's kind of, fun and interesting to uh, see the way in which a lot of folks right now don't like Tennessee very much. So that'll be worth paying attention to there uh, as we uh, head towards the the postseason in baseball. Also on our show here, before we wrap up and uh, get ready to go on board, we got several golden shoes we're going to give out today, and all of these are really uh, pretty funny. So I want to kind of roll through uh, some of these with you here uh, right now. And I want to start with this. Our buddy uh, Mad Dog. Uh, i joked on twitter over the weekend about uh brian harson driving the pace car for talladega and uh, mad dog's got a very funny kind of nascar talladega inspired uh brian harson tweet so we'll give um we'll give mad dog a golden shoe there for that so congratulations to him also i thought this was really funny chris moore sent this to me and if you're a florida fan deep down you know this is a problem so there are a lot of ways in which Billy Nabier at Florida is coming across as very Butch Jones-ish, including the fact that they gave out the Chris Doring I Like to Practice Award. I joked with uh, uh, Chris Moore, who sent this with me, that it's almost like this is Florida football's version of the Dundies, for those of you that like to watch The Office or something like that. But there is nothing cornier than giving out the I Like to Practice Award on social media. That's what Florida is doing. A lot of uh, folks kind of laughed at that and sent that to me including chris there as well and yes this is funny because it just is a reminder once again that right now uh florida is, li- is literally no threat to uga whatsoever more examples of that also we'll give out a golden shoot to our buddy sugar ray here who's always very talented with a lot of stuff he just keeps us all in stitches on social media all the time but you may have seen uh, Stetson Bennett flying with the Blue Angels over the weekend, and there's nothing more American than that. That's great to see. But Sugar Ray, and you'll see this on the screen, sends in his edit of So you got Stetson Bennett flying with the Blue Angels, and then behind him, you've got like a Superman version of George Pickens with like the Superman cape on, flying in the background. <laughs> don't oh, know why that's so funny to me, uh, but well done by uh, Sugar Ray on that. Uh, very good to see. And then finally, there's this uh, our our buddy Frankie Fibonacci, who's always talking trash towards uh, Alabama fans in our comment section and things like that. On the subject of Tyler Harrell, the former Louisville receiver committing to Alabama, he says that Alabama is basically now the East-West Shrine Bowl team because they've just gotten so many castoffs from other rosters. I, I just think that's that's really funny from Frankie. We'll give him a golden shoe on all of that. Uh, really well done. By the way, as we're getting ready to say goodbye to you, let's also take a look here at the sights and sounds from uh, – Port Canaveral, Cocoa Beach here today. Beautiful morning, weather's perfect. I see the waves rolling in, and pretty soon the independence of the seas, the Royal Caribbean's gonna be rolling out. I'm excited about that. Before I do, as I mentioned, those lousy, stinking gators, they're not on a cruise ship this week. They're not celebrating nothing. Bad grammar intentional. It's been 4,855 days since they've won a national championship. And our Gator Hater Countdown, 187 days from right now. We'll be back in the Sunshine State, this time in Jacksonville watching Georgia beat Florida again. But for now, I'm going to enjoy the beach. I'm going to enjoy the ship. I'm going to be enjoying the fun with Royal Caribbean as we're on board the Independence of the Seas later on today. Cruising with Dog Nation can't wait to bring you some of the sights and sounds from on board starting tomorrow. But for now, thanks for being with us here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.